Hello and welcome to Inclusive Stories, where we dive into topics that matter and help create a more inclusive world, one story at a time. I'm your host, Brooklyn. I'm a Nigerian Swedish mom of two boys on the autism spectrum. Today's podcast is very special. It's my very first episode and we are going to be focusing on my personal experience as a black parent in the UK navigating autism for my children. From my older son's being diagnosed at four to his younger brother's pathway to diagnosis, preparing them both for primary school. Um, we'll be talking about the challenges that I faced along the way that I'm facing. Um, we'll be talking about working with local authority to secure a diagnosis after two years of waiting. We're talking about you know, writing the EHCP plan, that's the education and healthcare plan. Um, getting that approved, attending countless doctors and specialist appointments. We'll be talking about how I had to become a teacher, therapist, you know, due to lack of um, available resources. Uh, we'll be talking about exploring different topics on uh, self-care for parents. Um, we'll be understanding like the unique rights our parents parents have advocating for their child's needs. My hope is that through this podcast, more families are able to access resources which can help them navigate these difficult times with confidence and clarity. Um, I want to thank you really, really uh, for joining us, joining me along this journey. And I'm hoping that you stick around. Let's begin. So welcome to my first episode. Um, as I mentioned, in this episode, I'm going to walk you through my experience navigating healthcare and education in the UK. I live in London with my two boys. Um, I am going to start with a little bit of a background um, so that you kind of get to know me. Um, and let me tell you, you know, just to start with, this journey has not been easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And I am still on this journey. I'm learning, I'm growing every day. And I'm hoping that by sharing my experiences, I can provide insight and support, you know, for you on your journey. First of all, I'm going to tell you a bit about myself. So as mentioned, I'm a Nigerian, born and raised, and I'm also Swedish. Um, I've been lived in Sweden for the better part of my life. I moved to the UK about going on eight years ago now. And I've got two boys, M and S. M is five and S is four. And I'll start with my journey to being a mom. Um, I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy, honestly. Um, one of the things I would remember is that I, I just wasn't eating much. I don't think that is, you know, strange for most parents. I wasn't eating as much. I lost quite a lot of weight during that time. However, it's, it was very, <clears throat> you know, it was very uneventful. Um, when M was about 42 weeks, um, I had to have an emergency section, C-section, um, because it was, it was a really tall baby. So it wasn't very, it was not aligned. It was curved in my womb and, you know, I was in labor for quite a while and, you know, it was just not coming out. Um, I think, uh, they said I was dilated maybe 
one point something, even after induction. So it wasn't really budging. Um, so I had to have an emergency section, which again was not, there was nothing that stood out there. Um, we were in hospital for a couple of days just to make sure everything was okay. Otherwise we were discharged and we went home and, you know, M was tracking as a average baby, like nothing stood out. It was, you know, eating well, drinking well, it was breastfed and, and then eventually we changed to milk. And at about one year, I think, right about, um, he started saying mama, papa. And um, it was working well before that. I remember when he was about five months old, he was crawling. And from crawling, he went straight to like, you know, working. He was working quite early. And um, at about... You know, a year and some months, I got pregnant with his brother, Yes, And that's when I started noticing some things. Um, so remember earlier on, I mentioned that Emma was saying mama, papa, like saying like the babbling and the things that babies would say. Um, but at, 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 as at the time, <clears throat> right to myself here, um, as at the time, I got pregnant with his brother and had his brother. Between that time, um, he he kind of regressed uh, in the sense that I was just noticing that he was not saying the things that he, were, he was saying, like the mama, the papa, all of that changed into like baby baby talk, you know. And uh, I, I initially didn't think much of it. I was a little bit concerned, obviously, <clears throat> but having a new baby... Um, I thought maybe that was it. Maybe he was just like responding to having another, um, you know, baby in the house that was getting the attention and all that. So I chucked it up to that. However, it you know things did not change as his brother and you know and as they both grew up together. Like it was just not changing. It was not talking. So I I, I reached out to our GP. Um, and shared my concern and that was just before him turned two so a couple of months in to my muslim was you know this way and um that would be the first step into a two-year plus journey to m's autism diagnosis now i have to tell you that like most parents i'm sure you know if you're listening to this and you you have like a similar story you would Realize at that at that start the beginning of that you know journey you are not thinking about anything you're not thinking about ASD autism AGAD or whatever you know neurodivergent um, condition your child has that's not that's the furthest thing from your mind and I was the same it was the furthest thing from my mind I wasn't thinking about any of those things I was just wanting to figure out you know what was holding my child back I was just wanting to um support my child to give him the best start in life. Um, so we were referred to a number of things. First of all, we were referred to speech and language therapy. And again, I did not know that all of this was playing into it as a diagnosis. I don't think I even realized that this was where it was going to end, end up in. I was just going along and like, okay, we have a speech and language therapist. Okay, we'll go for the therapy. They will you know, assess him. I had no idea that all of this was an assessment towards something. I was just thinking that they were going to help support him so that he can start talking, right? 
And for the next two years, I would go through a crash course in neurodivergence. I started doing my research. Uh, obviously, with my background, I am a communications um, specialist. I've done this for over 20 years. I've worked with, you know, different campaigns. Like, you know, my go-to is doing research, right? So one of the first things I did when I started kind of like looking into this was, you know, Googling, you know, <laughs> um, and I went down the rabbit hole of all things. And that's where I first, I think, came across ASC in, in the early days. I was just looking for like resources to help support my son. And I found like all this research around ASD, information around that. It was still very abstract. Bear in mind, <clears throat> but it gave me an um, idea of, like, at the back of my mind, I just thought, oh gosh, could it be? And I quickly, as soon as I thought about it, quickly just took that out. No, 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 that's not possible. Oh no, it's just, it's just not talking. And this is kind of um, the same, like, the same things I get from, like, you know, people around me that notice uh, family, friends that are like. I come from a culture, you know, Nigerian culture where being, you know, having any kind of neurodivergence is not something that you would want to say or you would want to acknowledge. So even even though I had this like thing at the back of my mind and sometimes was brave enough to say it, the feedback I got just pushed it right back. Like, no, 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 don't say that. Like, you know, it can be Something like, oh, no, you just have to pray about it. That would never happen. As if you can pray that away. (sighs) Eventually, I stopped kind of talking about it. I just started, like, doing my own research and just looking into all the possibilities. Um, And this kind of set me down the path of looking for resources for my son. Excuse me. And, um... As I mentioned, I'm a comms professional and I've done this for years. I'm a writer too. Um, so I, I just started looking for resources that were tailored for my son and I could not find any. Um, I'm a black woman. My son is a black boy. I, I wanted to see books that reflected his reality um, that could also support with his, you know, speaking and all that. I could not find anything. I went on Amazon everywhere. And I was like, okay, you know, what? I'm just going to create it. So I did. I wrote a story for my son. It's called um, The Adventures of Baba and Bobo. And it was called Big Brother. So it was the first storybook um, that I wrote. And it was essentially just a story that I wanted my son to be able to read and relate to. So I could read read it with him. And when I wrote that, I wrote it and I illustrated it myself. And I shared that with a few people. And um they were they were just really 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 amazed and you know from there on I thought oh okay so this could be something that I do for people um so I started creating more of things like that and my son responded and like it was so great I remember when I read when I got the art copy of the book and I read it for the first time for M M usually would not sit down for two minutes <clears throat> doing any activity. M would be steaming, and he has steaming, you know, he, he has movement steaming, so he's moving around, jumping around. So reading a book with him usually is a challenge, 
especially when it cannot connect with like the characters in the movie. Sorry, in the in the book. And for this book, I was amazed. On the first day that I read it with him, he asked me to read it again five times. I remember I was like, I wanted to cry. And I shared this with his dad and I was like, oh my gosh, he sat through this book and he wanted me to read it five different times. And that just showed me the power of representation. It showed me the power of inclusivity. It showed me the power of how you know, how important it was that our children, no matter what they look like and, you know, what their abilities or disabilities are, see themselves in the resources, media, books that they use. Um, That was the beginning for me. And it was like a switch went off in my head. And that book, that first book, you know, is was so helpful in, in helping um, M you know, start talking. I have to say, because like the more we read it, the more he like was saying words out of the book. It was the only book that it would relate to. Every other I bought, like I'm a reader, right? So when I had my kids, I bought books, like lots and lots and lots of books. I None of them could connect with him like that book connected with him. So I started buying more books that were like more, you know, that had characters that looked like him. I started writing more books, I started creating more books. I now have up to six um, children's books and more coming along um, on online for you. If you're interested, it's on Amazon. You can Google the Adventures of Baba and Bobo, or you can just, you know, find it on our website, www.inclusivestories.co.uk. But I say this to say that as much as this is important for you to, um, you know, find resources for your children. It's also important for you to be, you know, very, very aware of what your child is interested in and what will get them engaged. Um, this was one of the things that helped, helped us early on with M. So, um, when we started on this journey and the, you know, therapist and all of that stuff, I, I was just going through the motions, honestly. I was like, with the appointments and everything, I wasn't really, Especially after like the first couple of appointments with the speech and language therapist where it felt like I, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting more support. But you know, it felt like I was expected to do all of the work in the sense that um they're going to like help you and show you um some of the resources that are available, but you're expected to go home and work on this with your child. So it's not Usually, when you have this appointment, they observe your child and they make notes of like the things that you know they're doing, not doing, and all that stuff. They do a report, and that's it. I when I heard therapy, I was expecting a more hands-on approach, a more like therapist, you know, sitting with the child, using uh, toys, using books, using whatever that is. That never happened. I don't know about you. I don't know what your experience is, but. I live in London and that never happened. And that's not happened really for all of the parents that I've spoken to. And for me, it was such a rude awakening and rude shock that I thought, oh my goodness, I am going to have to do all of the work. And here I am, you know, with two boys um, working full time. It was so overwhelming. I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, how am I expected to be the teacher, the therapist for my son that needs this extra support? Um, 
But you know, of course, I had to do it. I had to do it. I had I had no choice because if I want the best for my son, I want the best possible outcome for him. So I would do it. But I have to tell you that it was not easy. It is not easy to to take on that role. It quickly early on just removed any illusions from my on my hand that the system, the healthcare education, is going to be there in any meaningful way other than just stating what the medical medically see. I I I I knew that it was up to me. If my son was going to like not even speak, if he was going to be able to excel or be supported in the right way so that he can reach full potential, it was up to me to do the work. And then I knew that I had to do my research. So I started researching. I started looking at different therapies, looking at different like resources, things that I I knew would help him. I bought a lot of things, sensory toys, like, oh my goodness. I am the queen of buying <laughs> sensory activities and sensory toys. And and you know, it's not because of I I, I want to, it's because I like <clears throat> throughout that time, I thought. You know, this is the only way I knew how. Nobody was teaching me this thing. Like, nobody was telling me this thing. Like, I have to find a way to ensure that my son is supported. (laughs) Excuse me. And and I'm, I'm sorry I have to say this. Actually, I'm not sorry I have to say it. It is the truth. In the UK, obviously, we have free healthcare, which is fantastic. But at the same time, our healthcare system is struggling. And because of that, a lot of things are not available to you. I was thinking early on I had to go private. You know, like this kind of therapy that my son needed, special language, something that I thought, if we don't go private to do it, like how are we going to do it, right? And I started looking into it and could you believe it? A lot of the private therapists Speaking language therapists, the starting cost for it per hour is about 70 to 80 pounds. I was like, oh my goodness, 70 to 80 pounds per hour. I'm not, I'm saying that it is too much for them to charge this. I'm just saying from the perspective of a parent trying to you know, get the best possible outcome for their child, it is really, really taxing to have to pay that kind of money just to get that extra level of support, you know. And this is something that I know a lot of parents struggle with. There are a lot of parents that, that are not even able to do it. I'm, I'm grateful that I was, I was able to do that, you know, at the time. Um, but it's not something that is available for a lot of parents to do. Um, so it, it is one of the things that I wish is more available, you know, here in the UK where it's not just the three assessments or three three or four, depending on the borough that you live in. Um, speech and language assessment, I won't call it therapy because it's not therapy, it's just assessment that you get. And then you are shipped off to the primary school um, assessment um, team, which, again, is not therapy. It is assessment. 
it's just not it's not it's not enough it's not adequate like how do you expect a child that needs intense support and therapy to have any kind of positive outcome without the support of the professional that's supposed to do it like there's just so much we as parents can do obviously we know our children best but at the same time like we need a lot of us have had no clue we're not professionally trained to start with we have no clue about ASD, speech and language and all of that stuff we're figuring it out along along the way so this is not something that we should be doing trial and error for you know but anyways um during this time i had to really you know dig down and understand what my child's need was and I, looking back now i have to say that i <sighs> i want i don't want to use the word regret but there are times where i i wish i was more aware of of you know asd as i am today and i would not have you know reacted the way i reacted for the longest time my son um i was just he was just like every average kid so like when he had at the time what would be is um dysregulation or regulation i had no idea that was what was happening at the time so i would respond as i would respond to <clears throat> the average child and it makes me really sad that you know i i i, I, I did not know i did not know enough to to support him the way he needed to be supported and this is why they say early detection. Early detection is an early diagnosis will always be the best because then you know how to support your child in the way that it is to be supported. Now, when my child does some things, I already know, even before he does that, I already know why. I know if he's been dysregulated. I know if he's been overwhelmed. I know if it's sensory overload. And I have like the tools um, available to, you know, for me to support him in in that i also have to talk about <coughs> excuse me i also have to talk about you know when we when we are going through like the pathways of diagnosis you come across a lot of different um professionals so from speech and language therapists occupational therapists um the therapist supports your child with um working with their like fine motor skills for example movement for example if your child is a child that struggles with walking or um you know for example a lot of children on the spectrum have a struggle with like potty training struggle with eating food and all of these things these are these are things that occupational therapy can support me i had no clue back then i had no idea like you know, all of these things. So when when I went for this therapy, like, or this session assessment, I would say, I had to do a lot of research. Again, research is your friend. I had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of Googling. I had to read a lot of articles, listen to, you know, parent, other parents that are going through this. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of other parents, by the way, that look like me. Um, a lot of the information I got was from, like, the U.S., right? But, you know, the reason it was important for me to do this was so I could effectively advocate for my son when the therapist or <clears throat> the um, professional that I went to see was telling me things so I could have like backup questions so I could understand 
properly so I could question what their approach is, why they you know they were they were approaching my son in that way and things like that. It was very important that I knew this because as much as my knowledge was limited, all of those information that I gathered prior to going for this appointment helped me understand better when I had like the therapist in front of me or as I saw talking to me about my son and what 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 he needed and things like that. And I understand that not a lot of parents have like the liberty to do this or are even aware that they need to do it. But I, I hope that by listening to me and listening to my story, you know how important this is. So back to my story. Um, my son started nursery. And, you know, the nursery started at fantastic nursery. It was, it was great. And, you know, they did the best they could. But unfortunately, like I've heard in most cases, a lot of our, our education providers have no training to help support children on the spectrum. Neither do they have the resources available. The nursery that I started off with, like, you know, they applied for a one-to-one for him. He was getting that. But unfortunately, my son grew bored. Like it was the same routine every single day. I think a year or so into his stay in nursery, I got a call um that expressed that they did not think that they could continue to provide or they could did nothing that their setting could continue to provide support that he needed. Oh my gosh. That was such a I don't know how I felt about it. I felt it was it was so hurtful to hear that. I'm not saying that they said that to me to be hurtful. I'm just saying that as a parent, the last thing you want to hear is that your child is not accepted in any way, right? And when I started, when I heard that for the first time, obviously I go into my mama bear role and I was like, okay, what is going on here? Let me know what's going on and tell me what the issues were. And I started immediately looking for other options because I knew the fact that they told me what they told me. And I'm, I'm really, really happy that they did, even though it was, you know, heartbreaking for me, is for me to be able to find a better you know setting for my son so I started looking I started looking and I knew that it had to be a place where it was not only supported academically that it was supported with all of its needs and I was talking to someone and they mentioned a new setting that was opening it was supposed to be an inclusive setting and this setting was supposed to be opening I think the, the month after it was not yet open at the time so I decided to go see the setting and went there and the first time I got there I was I, I started crying when I was speaking to the um to the owner um it's called the tax center in Plumstead and I was crying not because I was sad I was crying because I was relieved I was relieved that not only could I find a space that would take my son, my three-year-old boy, but it was a space where it could grow. It was a space where it would be accepted in every way. The owner of this platform, of this setting, also has, you know, a child on the spectrum. So understands firsthand, you know, my concerns as a parent. And that was just for me, 
it made it so emotional. And my son, I have to say, you know, was really happy here. So when he moved to this setting, he was really happy. He, it was very intimate, which is exactly what he needed. And he was growing and it was, it was really good. It was good for him. Um, in, in the middle of all of this, I started on the journey to get the, an education and healthcare plan for my son. <clears throat> the education and healthcare plan in the UK is a document, a legal document that goes with your son up until the age 25 your child. And this is a statement, it's multiple pages, is a statement that states out what kind of support your child needs and how that support is going to be um, given to him. And this is really important to know because not everybody is approved of the ACP plan. The the entire process to get to the ACP plan um, approval is tedious stressful like this there's going to be an entirely new episode for for me to even go into that but the fact that this document the single most important document for your neurodivergent child is so elusive it's just so heartbreaking right for the first both of my sons now have a ESCP plan but for him in the beginning I was clueless I had no idea what I needed to do, what I needed to look for. I remember when I first got the first draft, actually, even before that, when I was putting the um the content together for a story. Story is what would then what would then send to um the panel, the local authority panel that would then decide if your son will get an ESCP plan or not. <clears throat> I remember when I was putting all of the stories together, you know, with our fabulous Senko, which has been amazing. Honestly, there, there are people that have come across in this journey that I'm forever grateful for. Lauren has been the best thing that has happened to our family, honestly, the greatest support. She held my hand through all of this. And I remember when she was sending me, like, what I needed to write and all of that stuff. I was so overwhelmed because I was like... Like, how am I able to do it? felt like I was back in uni doing my thesis, honestly. But the difference here is that my son's life is at stake. Yeah, like, whatever I put down in this document will be what is going to make them decide, of course, plus the, like, professionals' reports, like, speech and language report, occupational therapist report, all of that together. But this will play a big part in it. I remember feeling so anxious. But I knew that I needed to do this. So I did. Like I put all the documents that I needed. I wrote my part. I sent it off. You know, the Senko sent it off to the relevant authority. And we waited a while and we eventually got an approval to move ahead, which again, as I mentioned, is not usually the case. It doesn't it doesn't go as straightforward as that. A lot of parents find it that they are often denied and refuse this and they have to fight for it. But when it got to the point where the draft was actually like being done, I realized after doing all of my research, I realized that not only was the draft not even stating the needs of my child as it should be, like the language and the phrasing there was just not okay. It was not legal. It's a legally binding document. They were suggesting things that happened. So I had to, I knew I had to find 
you know, someone that knew about this. So I got a professional. I had to pay out of pocket. I paid, I think, about five hundred pounds to do this, to go through the document with me and make sure that nothing is being missed, and reviewed it and rewrote things that I needed to rewrite there. And I shared this with the court authority. Remember, I paid five hundred pounds for this. And but of course it was very useful because then it was for me, it was a learning opportunity because I knew what, what to expect for the next time. But even at that, even after all of this stuff, like I think maybe only one page of my suggested amendments were implemented in there. And I, I remember thinking, like, why do they make this so difficult, so hard for parents? Like I had to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with the um send officer Ben in charge of writing this and it was just so tedious and remember I was going already going through the the entire process thinking about you know my son and and how he's going to cope in school in primary school then that like his transition and all of that and this is added on to it so it the journey does not, it's just not easy for parents I eventually got we got the draft finalized I wasn't entirely happy with it and i knew that you know the support that was stated in there would not meet his needs but i had to wait until under review for us to then review that i say this to say that even though my journey seems to be straightforward i was you know we granted a acp plan and all of that stuff it was diagnosed at before four years old the process is still extremely tedious, emotionally draining, and it, it's just, it's not the easiest thing for a parent that is already going through an emotional um, roller coaster of trying to come to terms with your child that you, you were pregnant with, skip it to never thinking you will have any additional needs. So the system has a lot to do. Not to only support the child, but to support the parents and make this a lot more well, easy, I would say, right? Make the process easier for parents. I remember when my son eventually got his official diagnosis, right? Remember I said we started the journey at two years old. He didn't get his diagnosis until shortly before four. Was at the end of 2021. December 2021. I remember sitting in the doctor's office. Obviously, when when you're going through all of the you know, assessments, and uh, you, you would already kind of know, even though this, the diagnosis is not official, you already kind of know this is the direction we're going in. Even the doctors, some of them will tell you it is looking like this, but we have to wait for the official like assessment for the, from the ASA team. But when I I heard your son has been diagnosed as on the autism spectrum. I felt a combination of relief and just, I was just sad. I started crying. I say relief because finally there was something about my son that I could hold on to and say, this is what, you know, it is. And this is how I need to support him. But at the same time, in that moment, all the hopes I had for my son 
for for what is life is supposed to look like. I I just felt them just like go away. Um, I, the full effect of that did not really sink in in that moment, but I just in that moment I, I just the sadness started. I did not fully comprehend what this new normal would be until much later on months of, I think maybe a year down the line um but in that moment I remember the doctor you know looking at me giving me a tissue and saying how do I feel about this and you know and I said like I'm just relieved and and I'm just sad and she was like yeah and I know a lot of parents go through this you know the you go through the process of getting diagnosed and you get to that end point and you are not just you don't either know how to respond to it or you're just extremely sad i want to let you know that it is okay it's okay to feel that way because not only are you mourning what what you thought would be you are also trying to come to terms with what your child needs moving forward and it's okay for you to break down and mourn about that. It's okay for you to be upset. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to not even figure it out in that moment. <clears throat> because at the end of the day, what that would do for you is put, bring you to a place of acceptance. Because until you accept what you have in front of you in, in the shape of your child, you are not able to fully support your child as your child needs you to. When I accepted, and it wasn't just me, it was also is that too. When we accepted fully, not just like talking about it and like, oh, this is what it is, just like fully accepted, we were able to fully support him, fully meet him where he was, and fully understand what, he, what his needs were. So do not you know, hold yourself up. And, and, and I'm talking about, especially for our parents in ethnic minority communities, uh, you know, African parents. We, I understand. I absolutely understand how hard it can be to even acknowledge that your child has additional needs. I understand how it might feel like something you have to keep in secret or something that is something you have to hide. I understand how culturally there are stigmas. Culturally, it is difficult, especially with the nuances associated with neurodivergence. But I'm telling you that your child needs you to stand strong for them. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks, whether culturally or in the society, it's important what you think. And I'm sure you love your child. I'm sure you want the best for your child. And those should, those feelings should be the things that drive you the most. There will always be people that are judging. There will always be people that make it seem like you are not being a good parent or whatever that is. Well, just... Try to put that aside. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy. But try to put that aside because when it comes down to it, your child is going to go into this world and unfortunately also come across people, young people like that with that kind of ideas in their mind. 
when you fortify your child enough with your love, your support, encouragement, you are going to prepare your child for this. So your focus should just, you know, you stay focused on that. Um, I am going to, I think I am going to stop here. There needs to be a part two to this because my story is still ongoing. I have not talked about my second son at all. Yes. And that is another story in of itself. Um, but I have to say it's been really great just talking about my journey, talking about our journey. And I'm hoping that in doing this, I can also find um, support. I can also find people or parents like myself um, and create a community where we can share our stories, daily stories, daily struggles, daily wins, daily joys um, with other parents that understand how important it is and understand you know, what we're going through. I'm hoping that Inclusive Stories community can be that community for you. Uh, and I hope that you stick around. Um, I hope that you're, you're subscribed. Um, I hope you can follow us on all of our social media platforms. It's at Inclusive Stories um, on Facebook. It's at Inclusive Stories on Instagram. And it's at Inclusive Stories Box on tiktok and the website is www.inclusivestories.co.uk um i'm going to be talking a lot more in the two of these about my in other son i'm going to be talking a lot more about the inclusive stories box and how that came about and i'm hoping that i can see you there so thank you for joining us me <laughs> today and i hope to see you soon bye